We're going to um, read the first 18 verses of Matthew chapter 6 today. Next week, Jason is going to take us through the rest of the chapter based on the treasure principle. And then the following week is when we're having our baby dedication, and Jason's going to bring a short uh, message on adoption. And then we'll pick back up to Matthew 7 again. So just kind of give you a, a heads up about what's going to happen. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, and let's take a look at what he has to say there. First 18 verses. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you like the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your charitable deed or your work will be done in secret. Hmm. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, <clears throat> you're not to be like the Pharisees, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets <clears throat> that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things which you have need of before you ask. In this manner, then, Pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. Moreover, when you fast, <clears throat> do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you do not appear to be fasting, but to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. When you look at scriptures and the Sermon on the Mount, sometimes we look at that and we say, wow, what Jesus is saying here sounds pretty radical. I mean... It is radical to the world, but actually he's just describing the normal 
Christian life. He's giving instructions to us to explain to us what should be normal behavior as a believer and the activity of a believer. We marvel at that because we, we go, wow, if I could only live like that. So, but he actually gives us his spirit to empower us to live like that. When we get selfish, we expect to come to Jesus to have our own way and our own emotional needs met. But he knows that if we look away from self and to him, that he gives us all we need to be happy in the Christian life and productive. Listen to what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 3, through 4. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and virtue, by which you have been given, he has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. We get up, caught up sometimes in the complication of our stressful lives. We start looking for solutions outside of Scripture by a philosophy or a, a man that we think that can help us or in ourselves. Getting our understanding and priorities straight makes everything else, though, bring us peace. The Sermon on the Mount is intended to give us the simple instructions so that we're living a life that is pleasing to God. These things might sound impossible, but he says they're not. <clears throat> Jesus starts out with instructions on giving. You know, giving is a really important part of body life, of being in a church. You know, some people think that all we do every week is preach on giving. And they'll, they don't come to church here, <laughs> but that's what they think we do. And they're wrong. We talk about someone who gave, who gave his life so that we could be partakers of the divine nature. But later in chapter 5, he gives more motivation to us. And that's when Jason's going to pick it up. But here he cautions us against self-righteousness. <clears throat> he says, take heed. Don't practice your good deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward in heaven. The Pharisees used to sound a trumpet before dropping money in the treasury. You say, well, that's silly. Well, they did it in order that people would see the great amounts they were giving and it wanted to see how righteous they were so everybody could see. But they were just fake. They were hypocrites. It was a scam. Their hearts were not concerned for the needy to whom they may have been giving. They just wanted the admiration of men. Jesus said they already have the reward. What's that? The glory of men. 
And that reward is self-satisfaction, not the glory of God. A person who's giving because of their compassion for the need, they don't want the attraction of men. They don't want people to know what they're doing. That's not what they're looking for. They're looking for seeing that their gift accomplishes what it was intended result. Jesus puts it down to a secret kind of giving that your heavenly Father sees and nobody else. And he rewards you openly. When? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know when he's going to reward you openly. But if you're walking in the Spirit, I will tell you this, and you're being thankful. You're going to be much more aware of God's goodness to you and his literal reality of working in your life and you won't start thinking that things are just a coincidence actually i've been in a couple of churches where there's no collection plate passed at all and in the back of the church on the way out there's a big lock box that says tithes and offerings And people walk by and place their contributions in there quietly with no spectacle whatsoever. George Mueller, the famous preacher who started all the orphanages, when he first came to Bristol, England, to the church he was called to pastor, he saw people not only passing the plate, but renting their pews. (laughs) In other words... They got to sit in the same place all the time, and they rented that pew. And you didn't come in and sit in their pew because they rented that pew. So he stopped that completely. And he told people to sit where they wanted to, and he nailed a box in the back of the church and told people, I'll live out of that box. I wonder if we preachers had enough faith to do that. I've actually, like I said, I've been to a couple of churches that do. And have, these are churches with six, 700 people in them, and they do not take up a collection. Now, I know that's not Baptist necessarily, but certainly it is faith. <laughs> so he moves on to praying. Jesus was concerned about secrecy in the Christian life. Not only in giving, but in praying. And he warned people to prevent them from showing off by their prayers. <laughs> we used to have a guy in a church I was a member of. And the way he pronounced God was, uh, Our Father God. Like that every time he prayed. Now, I'm not saying he was insincere. But every time he prayed like that, I just wanted to go, Okay, what country are you from? Because people who love to pray long prayers in front of other people are seeking the admiration of men. I know people in this church who would prefer not to pray publicly. They're a little bit taken aback by it. I have a funny story. It's not in my notes. My son-in-law and I, not long after he had married my my oldest daughter, were at a camp that was called a father-son camp. And since I've raised nothing but daughters, I didn't mean to say that cynically. I, I, I really am happy that I had daughters. Uh, but my son-in-law and I went down, and he became my son for the weekend. 
And so we went into the first uh, instruction time and teaching and worship and music and everything. And then uh, they said, well, listen, take your son or son-in-law or whoever and go out in the, in the uh, camp there and find a quiet place to sit down and talk about the things of the Lord, the things that are concerning you. So Rob and I went out, and we sat down on a bench out by the creek and sat there and talked. And I, I said, is there anything you'd like to talk about? And he goes, yeah, I have a problem. I said, what is it? I'm, I'm, I'm not good at praying in front of people. And I said, oh, really? He said, yeah. I said, why? He said, I, I'm just afraid I'm going to stutter or stammer or something. And I said, well, who are you talking to? Well, God. I said, well, talk to God. Tell God what's on your heart. And so I actually had him pray right there with the two of us. And so we went back to the chapel for the second conference time. And uh, one of the guys, a good friend of mine there, was the kind of the MC. And he goes, okay, we're going to have a word of prayer. Brother Rob, would you lead us in a word of prayer? <laughs> I just went, oh, Lord, you're so funny. <laughs> and he did a beautiful job. When we got through, he goes, isn't that just like the Lord? I said, yep. That's the way he acts. That's the way he does. He tells us that the most effective prayer is not prayer in a group at church. Now, don't get me wrong. That's important. Prayer in the church. But he says, go in your room by yourself and pray and shut the door and pray to the Father who sees in secret. And the Father will reward in secret or in, in openly. So what kind of reward? Well, obviously... I mean, I don't know about you, but when I pray, I don't want just my prayers bouncing off the ceiling and coming back and hitting me on top of the head. I want to see God work. Amen? That's what we want to see. You know, I pray every time I study for a sermon, I, God, I want to see you work today. I want to see you work this Sunday. I want to see you work this Monday. I want to see you work this Tuesday. I want to be able to walk up to you and say, what's God doing in your life Today. Oh, that puts you on the spot, doesn't it? I'm doing anything in my life. Well, we were down at the Creation Museum, and Rowan were sitting around having lunch on this outside patio there, outside the restaurant there in, in the Creation Museum. And Rowan says, Let's have some fun. Let's just tell each other what God's doing in your life today. Boy, you should have seen faces go white including mine. I was sitting there having my hot dog and I wasn't really interested in talking. But some really interesting things came out of that. Not well. Well, God blesses me today with this beautiful sunshine. Well, duh. We're all sitting in the sunshine. That's not that that's not something to be thankful for, but goodness gracious, what else is he doing? What's he doing deep inside? And we got around to uh, one person, they said, I just don't feel like I'm walking close enough to the Lord. I said, that's, that's an honest person. Got around to me and I said, she said, what about you, John? I said, the Lord's dealing with me by, for not being a very good pastor. 
oh, no, everybody said, no, you can't. I said, I mean it. So, what is God doing in your life today? If I ask you to write it down, could you? It's regarding prayer. My wife, yesterday I, I did a wedding. And in the wedding, I prayed two or three times. And they were fairly long prayers. Not They were intended to... to uh, help the couple that was getting married to realize their relationship with God. And then after it was all over, we had a meal. <clears throat> and my wife said, well, John, why don't you pray? And I said, Father, thank you for this food. Amen. And everybody went. She goes, when, when there's food around, John doesn't take long prayers. <laughs> so, I mean, really, what's the point? You're, that's what you're doing there. You're at thanking God. But anyway. Sometimes people get up to pray for food and they go all the way around the world, pray for every missionary, pray for every president, pray, you know, it's like, I don't think that's what we're trying to do here, but anyway. The obvious thing is answered prayer. That's what we want to see. We want to also see the unseen God brought into our reality and watch him work. Another problem among the hypocrites was using repetitious prayers. The heathen who do this, he said. Jesus described the people that do that as heathen, and that's what the Pharisees were doing. So he was calling them heathens. Praying in a certain prayer over and over and over and over again, hoping God will hear you because you're praying a lot. Well, when we pray, you don't have to pray over and over and over again. Now, don't get me wrong. There's not a, a bad thing at all about bombarding heaven for a deep-seated deep need, especially someone you want to see saved. But a lot more is accomplished in secret. I remember I was in a religion before I came into the light. <clears throat> and in that religion, <clears throat> I was told when I would go t- to talk to my pastor about my sins in a little box. Are you getting this? And after it was all over, and I was a particularly bad little boy all the time, bad young boy, young man, he'd always tell me to go out and kneel down in the pew and say the Our Father ten times. And if I would do that, my sins would be absolved. You know, I remember as the Lord started drawing me to himself, I thought, what, am, what is this doing? How can this be taking away my sins? This is just something I'm doing. He'd tell me, do it 10 or 15 times, and if you go do that, I'm, and you're absolved. I hope I'm not offending anybody, but that's not biblical. And we are called as believers to follow the Bible exclusively, right? So, I didn't know that at the time. And I thought, well, maybe I'm getting God's attention after all. Then he'd tell me to go pray 15 Hail Marys. And I really didn't know what that was doing. So finally, I just woke up one day and thought, this can't be taking away my sins, but I know I'm still a sinner, and I know I'm still condemned. Oh, God, what, what's, how can I find 
how to have real forgiveness. And then he showed me something. He showed me Jesus dying for me. He showed me God saying, that's enough punishment forever. He showed me Jesus saying, this, the job is done, paid in full. And that is when I got up and realized I was forgiven. Because that was God telling me I'm forgiven. It doesn't do any good, you know, what you do in the so-called Christian life unless, the whole, unless God the Son reveals himself to you, you're still lost. That sounds tough. But unless he has revealed himself to you through his spirit, you are just somebody with a lot of good lingo about Christianity. Has he revealed himself to you? You want to know where that's going to happen? In your closet or in your room with the door shut and the Bible open and you on your knees. That's when it's going to happen. And you know what? It, it's, it's not... It's important that that is where you are with the Lord. That you can get up from a prayer time and know that you've been doing business with Jesus. Not going in and saying... Our Father art in heaven, hallowed be thy name and kingdom come. Okay. One more time, one more time, one more time. Fifteen times. It doesn't get God's attention. So, James tells us in 5.16, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. And he's using Elijah as an example. And I, I, I would suggest you go read about Elijah and watch his prayer life. Okay, so he tells us not to be like the heathen and that we pray to the Father who knows what we need before we ask, right? You say, why ask? <laughs> because he wants to hear from you. I mean, fathers and, and mothers, you know what your children need before they ever come to you. Half, I mean, for the first eight to nine months of their lives, they can't even tell you what they want. You just know what they want. They want a bottle of milk or they want a uh, diaper changed or they want something. They want to be held and they let you know in no uncertain terms when they're not happy, right? That's communication. <laughs> That's a loud communication. But you know what? As you grow older, we teach them how to talk. We teach them how to ask for things. Why are we doing that? We know what they need. Do you see... Being a parent isn't any different than having a relationship with God who is your parent saying, I know what you need, but I want to hear you come and talk to me about it. Okay, so he gives us a model here. And a lot of people call this the Lord's Prayer. But it's better called Disciples' Prayer. Because if you really want to hear Jesus pray, read John chapter 17, the whole chapter. There's the whole prayer of Jesus for all of us right there. But this model is for his disciples and is something not to be repeated over and over again as if it had some merit in the prayer itself. It's a pattern to follow. And it's not necessarily a legalistic pattern to follow. Oh, I forgot to say that kingdom come. No, that's, that's okay. He starts the prayer this way. Our Father in heaven. The word for father here in the Greek is pater. 
pater, P-A-T-E-R, meaning father. In Aramaic, though, it was the word Abba. It was a word used by Jewish children referring to their earthly father. And I want you to miss, I want you to understand something. I've heard people pray like this. Abba, Daddy. That's not what God wants you to do. That's not what that word Abba means. That word is a reverential word. It's the same thing as saying Father. And sometimes we get real disrespectful to God when we start calling Him Daddy. I've done it. So that you don't think that I'm looking down my nose at you. I've done it. But here's the thing. I'm not going to do it anymore. Because I realize that Pater, Father in Hebrew, and Abba in Aramaic mean exactly the same thing. Our Father in Heaven. And the word Father means someone who originated us. Do you know that? Someone who conceived us. That's what Father means. It's not a title. It's not a term that you can go up and say, Father, you know. I mean, you can call your dad, Daddy. You can call him Dad. I don't believe it's a good thing to have you let your children call you by your first name. That's pretty disrespectful. But what we're saying when we're saying to the Father is, my God and my Creator. That's what you're saying. My Father in heaven. And he talks about this holiness. He says, holy is your name. Hallowed is your name. Your name is above all names. Your name is to be more revered than anything else. It brings intimacy with God. We could never have that without the blood of Jesus, could we? Then he says, and to pray, we're to pray, your kingdom come. We're told to complete, continually pray for the advancement of God's kingdom on earth. And I'll tell you how I know that's true. But that the reign of Christ would be in the hearts of every man and woman that we talk to. It's a petition for the fulfillment of His kingdom, which will happen at His coming, His second coming. But it is possible because Colossians 1 tells us that He transferred us from the domain of darkness when we received Christ into the kingdom of His dear Son. So folks, we're already there. You know what's really interesting about this is that I hear people talking about, boy, I wish I, you know, if God would just appear or do something I can see or whatever. But the moment a person receives Christ, they move into a spiritual realm that is unknown and unbelieved by the world. Completely. And we become much more attuned, without really knowing it, to who God is and what He has to say. Unfortunately, we also become much more attuned to Satan. And we hear him too. Before we were following him and didn't know we were hearing him. <laughs> now as Christians, we know where that voice is coming from. And he's still 
attractive sometimes. So Jesus warned us. He said, when you pray for his kingdom to come, realize you're already in that kingdom. And you want Christ's kingdom on earth. He says, your will be done. God reveals his will to us. He's not hiding it in the dark saying, I bet you can't find it. He's not doing that. He's actually revealing his will to us every time we open that book. You don't really have to go too far inside the Bible to find out what God's will for your life is. And don't worry about what you don't understand. Just learn to obey what you do understand. And God will give you more light later. But here's the thing. He reveals his will as it's being done in heaven. Think about this. Now, you're in a new kingdom. You're in a heavenly kingdom. You're in a place where your perception of God has all of a sudden opened wide up as a new believer or any believer. And all of a sudden, now you have the ability to look into heaven and see what God's will is and do it here. Did you ever think about that? Your prayer should be finding God's will and then carrying it out. You know, we, have a, we make a mistake sometimes that we're not responsible to do His will. But listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. Many say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Isn't that scary? If I didn't know Jesus, that would scare me down to my toes right now. To think that you can get saved and get your ticket to heaven and still live outside the will of God is ridiculous. It's foolishness, folks. And he warns the person not entering heaven's glory. I hope no one here thinks like that. The problem with these people claiming to do good works is this. They didn't bother to find out what his will is. Oh, they did a lot of good works. They started a lot of projects in their church. They recruited a lot of people to work hard for them. But they never bothered to find out if it was God's will or not. And then he goes on to say, and this is a reference to our needs. Give us today our daily bread. And this is obviously referring to the daily dependence on God for our physical sustenance. And we do need to learn to live one day at a time for that from the Lord. People who are more proud of the fact that they have a savings account usually don't lean on the Lord day by day, even with a savings account. Because you know what? God has a principle of giving, and he's going to talk about this next time. Here's his principle of giving. Look at my hand. It's open. I may have hundreds and thousands of dollars in a savings account. If God tells me to pass it out this way, that's what I'm supposed to do. If he, if he turns around and passes it back in, that's his deal. That's appreciated. But if I do this, I stop it from both directions. One, I stop it from selfishness. The other, I stop God from blessing me. Keep your hand open before the Lord. Church, we need to keep our hands open.
before the Lord. I don't care if we have sixty, seventy thousand dollars in savings. I would almost like it better if we didn't have any. And that we actually had to live by faith week by week by week. Oh, John, you're being too radical now. That's not the Baptist way. I don't care. My wife and I were talking about, she got real tired one day and we were talking and we were staying over at the Bravo. She goes, I just like to sleep in my own bed once in a while. And so smart Alec John <laughs> said, well, Jesus said the birds there have nests and the foxes have holes, but I have no place to lay my head. She goes, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I said, well, if you knew I was going to say it, why didn't you say it to yourself? But then there were other things that had to be discussed. But this refers to another kind of bread, folks. And I think it's the most important bread. In John 6, 33 through 35, and I'd like you to turn your Bibles to 6, even if you've got my notes, because looking right at it in the Bible sometimes has more effect than looking at it in my notes. John chapter 6, 33. John 6, 33 through 35. And keep your finger because we're going to go another section, John 6. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Lord, Lord, give us this bread always. Now remember, these are people who saw him feed 5,000 people at one time with five loaves and two bluegill or whatever they were. But they're hungry for something besides him. And he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. Now that's not what they wanted to hear. People call this church every week needing help. Now, granted, if I said, you know, if you come to Jesus, he'll take care of all your needs. They don't want to hear that. It's true. But they don't want to hear it. Going down to verse 47, look what he says. Most assuredly I say to you, who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and now they're dead. This is the bread that comes down from heaven that one may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever, and the bread I give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Do you know what he's saying to you here? His flesh is the Word. The big, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. That's His flesh. And you have it. I'm looking around the room and I see people with it in their hands all over the room. you got it in your hand. And if you don't spend time daily in the Word of God with Jesus... You're missing out on the sustenance that you need to keep you alive in Jesus. Because if you start looking for some other kind of confirmation of some other way, you're not going to get it from God. Oh, you can get visions and dreams, but the devil will do that for you just to lead you astray. And then he said to the devil, for instance, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Is this the daily bread you're asking for? Is it more important to you than breakfast? It should be. Young people, boys and girls, 
God's Word should be the first thing you do. Not Xbox or the TV or, or Looney Tunes or something, whatever they do today. The Word of God ought to be the very first thing you look at when you get up in the morning. Okay. God provides your daily needs because He's promised to do so, but dining at His spiritual table accomplishes so much more and it fills you up. Now we're going to skip verse 12 for a minute and jump down to 13. And he says this in this prayer, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I just want to say something, beloved. If you walk closely with Jesus, Satan's going to stand right in your way. (laughs) The closer you walk to him, the more he's going to fight you. The closer you walk with him, the more he's going to try to turn you away from your assigned duties. The closer you walk to him, to the Lord, the more Satan is going to send you all kinds of weird distractions. Maybe not, maybe not so weird. Maybe they're common or ordinary. They're just distractions. But our prayer is that God would deliver us here from the evil one. So it's not delivering us from temptation. God never tells us to pray that God would deliver us from temptation. He's, the, the real rendering in this verse is deliver us. Lead us not only into temptation, but in the process, deliver us from the evil one. Who led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted? The Spirit. Why would he do that? Because faith produces knowledge and produces endurance. Endurance produces self-control. Self-control keeps going on till you get to love. But there's, there's a promise for us here. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he says this, No temptation has ever taken you, such as is common to every man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. And then in this final doxology, he says, Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This is a significant reminder of who answers, who directs our prayers. Now, I said I wanted to forgive, skip verse 12 because 12 and 14 and 15 go together. And Jesus said this. He says, he prays, forgive us our debts or sins as we forgive our debtors. Notice the, word of the, use, the use of the word debt there. Forgiveness is an accounting term. It's a bookkeeping term. You say, well, why is it in the Bible? Because it's the same thing. It means to cancel out a debt. That's what it means. But forgiving the sins of others is exactly the same thing as canceling out a debt. And primarily a debt that can't be repaid. I have somebody come to me one time and say, I just can't forget so-and-so. I said, what if that person owed you $50,000 and had no way to repay that debt? And that person said, well, I would just cancel out the debt i said that's forgiveness now how, tell me that you excuse me tell me that you can't for, you can forgive fifty thousand dollar debt but you can't get somebody for saying a harsh word to you you see how silly that is jesus paid it all right and 
He did it on the cross for past, present, and future, all of our sins, and holding another brother or sister responsible for something they've done against us is dangerous. You know why? That he says, if you forgive, your Father will forgive you. But if you don't, your Father will not forgive you. I don't know about you, I find that scary. I find that beyond comprehension. You mean I'm a Christian, but because I didn't forgive somebody, I'm not going to heaven? Yes. You know why? Because what's happening is you are harboring something in your heart, and that is not the nature of a divine being whom you've been born of God. Do you get that? If God's nature, and if you think about what you've done against Him, is to forgive you unconditionally because Jesus died, that should be the same thing inside of you. You shouldn't have to look at anybody and say, yeah, but they did this to me. It ought to be just a cancel out of that debt. Now, please realize that cancel, I mean, forgiveness is not forgetfulness. You know, God says, I remember your sins no more. I don't have that ability. But my unforgetfulness or my forgetfulness or unforgetfulness about something you did to me doesn't cause me not to forgive you. It causes me not to trust you. <laughs> There's a big difference. You know that old statement, you know, do that to me, shame on you. Do it twice, shame on me. Well, that's exactly the way it works. Once you, somebody's hurt you once and you forgive them, if they do it again and you forgive them, you cancel it out. You're not going to hold it against them. You're not going to bring it up ever. But you're not necessarily going to want to jump in the same coach with them or in the same back seat. Get it? You have to use wisdom about, you know, Proverbs is just full of wisdom about how to handle a foolish man. We have to be careful to heed that. Okay. If a person's really understood the complete forgiveness of God and they say, I can't forgive that person, what they're saying is, I won't forgive that person because you can't. It's, it's, it, it, when I hear people say that, it scares me to death for their souls. It really does. Because otherwise they're just religious. Finally, Jesus talks about fasting, not eating, for a particular purpose. He cautions us not to be, again, like the hypocrites, like the Pharisees, who go about looking, yeah, I'm fasting today, aren't I looking awful? Why the sad look, John? Oh, I'm fasting for the Lord. <laughs> you really are? It must not be a very happy event for you. It, here's the thing. He says the, the Pharisees, the hypocrites, go out with a sad look. They don't wash for some reason so people can smell their fasting. I don't get that. But they can, men can see it and they have their reward. But God says when you, you, but you, when you fast... Anoint your head. In other words, clean up. Wash your face and put a smile on your face. Because you're getting closer in your relationship to, the, to God than you were before by fasting. 
I'm not always sure what good that does. I'm not always sure what the purpose of fasting is. We're going to do a study on that sometime here. But if you do fast, it ought to be for a good reason, not so that everybody can see how downtrodden you are and hungry you are. And oh, By the way, this month, the youth are going to go on a 30-hour fast. They call it a famine, but believe me, it's not a famine. <laughs> if you've ever been in a famine or seen a famine, you know of what a famine is. It's a fast, right? 30-hour fast. They're going around and collect funds to send to the Derringers. Is that right? Okay. So if, if a, a teenager or somebody in the youth group comes up and says, hey, I'm doing the 30-hour fast or 30-hour famine, we're collecting money for the Derringers, get in your pocket. Make these young people realize that what they're doing is important. And then Rob, Rod's going to torment them by making them give sandwiches to people. <laughs> I think that's funny. <laughs> the things on the Sermon on the Mount are things that lead to contentment. Did you hear me? They are things that lead to contentment. Not necessarily happiness. Can you be happy and not content? You sure can. Can you be content and not happy? Yes. Because happiness is based on emotions. As you do these things, you do them to glorify God. He increases your contentment in your relationship with Him. That's what contentment is. You can come to Him in humility and confession of sin and repentance. If you're here today without Christ, or you're just coming to church here. I just come to church at Ramsey because I like Ramsey. But what do you like about it? We get up and get in your face every Sunday. <laughs> We're in your kitchen talking to you about repentance, about the effect of sin and hell all for all eternity, and the fact that there's a Savior that finished the whole work for you, and all you have to do is step in. Like Noah stepped in the ark. You like coming here? Boy, it must be the most uncomfortable hour of your life. I hope. You can come to him in humility, though. And you would not believe the joy you would have by knowing Jesus. Listen, I want you to understand something. I've had people say, oh, you, I just don't think the Lord would receive me. I'm so sinful. Come on. If God could save a wretch like me who for 29 years deliberately did everything I could to anger God and dared him to judge me. Oh, I was a pistol. Some of you say, well, you still are, John. But I was a real mean, bad pistol. If he received me, he'll receive you. I have people come in and think, oh, Lord, oh, Pastor, I, I say something to you here now. I, I'm, I'm just afraid you're going to really think evil of me. I said, why? Well, you're just going to think bad of me because of what I did. There isn't anything you're going to tell me that I haven't done or thought about, right? Listen, we're just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And we're ready to close this out with this verse. 1 Timothy 1.15 this is a faithful saying. Listen to this now. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul adds, 
of whom I am the chief. So he saved the chief. He could save you, right? Amen? Good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for this sermon on the mount. The sermon, Lord, that you preach that none of us can really do any better with than just to repeat it. But Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for giving us your word and help us to seek that daily bread that you are every day. In Jesus' name, amen.